Hello, it is 7 a.m. in New York, 1 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 6 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I'm an intercultural strategist, transformation facilitator, and solution-oriented coach. And I'm on a mission to help you adapt and succeed through any life transition. Just as a caveat for this episode, this was recorded in two parts, the first in April 2022 and the second in May, just days after a mass shooting occurred in Buffalo, New York, at a local grocery store where 10 innocent people's lives were taken. This mass shooting was racially motivated, and all of the victims were Black. This awful news that hit our airwaves has sent a ripple effect yet again throughout the globe on just how much racial healing we need. And this episode now goes live in advance of Juneteenth, reminding us of how important it is for the work to continue. So it is my heartfelt pleasure to have Salem Green on the podcast today. She is a master healer, creator of What Black Women Want You to Know, and founder of Literary Healing Arts, LLC, where she supports individuals and organizations in using writing, poetry, and storytelling to reclaim their voices and transform their lives. We have a lot in common on that respect, but what we do is so different, and that's why I'm so excited to have her here today. In her work as an advocate for racial justice, she's spoken at the United Nations and facilitated and trained hundreds of leaders throughout the South in the United States, including the Selma Center for Nonviolence, Truth and Reconciliation, and the UAB Institute of Arts and Medicine. In addition to all of that experience, she's a certified practitioner and trainer for the Kellogg Foundation's Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Process, a former Reimagining Justice and Women's Policy Fellow, and a Community Village Awardee for Gender Justice Work in the South. Salam, it is my pleasure to have you join us here on In Transit. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. I am super excited. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So Salem and I know each other from our work together on Wisdom Fusion. For those of you who don't know what Wisdom Fusion is, it's an eight-week intergenerational experience of learning. And I can't even find words for how amazing that was. But one of the things that I learned about Salem during that is... She's one of those people that, I don't know, Salam, if this resonates with you, but you seem to be one of those people that observes. And you you might not say much, but man, when you did say something, it was like mic drop (laughs) every (laughs) single time. So um, it's been wonderful. And one little fun fact that we have in common with each other is both of us went to, for at least some period of time, the University of North Dakota, right? So Exactly. <laughs> what is that about? Absolutely. I am in the south of the United States and uh, yeah, University of North Dakota. Absolutely. <laughs> well, any woman who can put up with the level of cold and snow in the University of North Dakota is a resilient woman. So <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> I love it. 
So thank you for joining us here. Um, you know, the podcast in transit, I, I can't think of a better way to describe how our global energy feels right now, right? What are you feeling right now in terms of what's going on globally? Oh, that's such a great question. And um, I want, and I can go back to the wisdom, wisdom fusion that we were a part of. Like there are no words to the beautiful way in which it was uh, handled and just the beautiful people we met. I think in the world today, community is what I'm feeling. I'm mm -hmm. feeling like there is this hunger finally for community. I don't know if it's because, you know, during the pandemic we were isolated and we were told not to be in community and there was, and that's trauma. And so I see the collective trauma of what uh, community, uh, the lack of being in community has done for people. So I see that we are in transit right now, as you so beautifully are saying, moving back into the space of community, the communal healing bonfires are getting ready to <laughs> be uh, spread across the world. There are campfires. There are women in their kitchen who are getting ready to open up the, uh, you know, the, the oven and baking our bread. You know, uh, we are really beginning, I think, right now to look at circles or squares if we're still mm -hmm. online, <laughs> but community, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was going to bring this up, but I, I notice I have tears in my eyes um, when I think about it. I, this idea of community, um, there have been times where I've watched individuals in crisis, let's say health crisis, there's a diagnosis or a tragic loss in a family. And I've seen two things happen, depending on the cultural context, depending on the energy that was going on in the moment. But one group of people um, isolate, actually go on their own. It's almost like everybody goes in their own apartment by themselves and feels pain. And I've watched other people do the opposite. So come together in that circle, right. And be in community to share the pain. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I, I absolutely know we need to give everybody the space to grieve and work through their own process in a way that is unique to them. Absolutely. And I also think there's wisdom in centuries of practices um, that we've seen. How do people heal best? right? When, when yes. they're experiencing pain. Um, and mm -hmm. I hear you, like we've been forced to be separate, but we've been, there's been pain uh, and, and trauma through the pandemic and all that we've seen in the U.S. with this racial reckoning that you can't unsee through thanks to the media that has made it so hard to look away from, right? Absolutely. Um, so mm. where do we go from here? <laughs> what, what, is, <laughs> what, what are you, I know this is a center of your work right now. Why are you using your precious energy and attention to focus on racial healing right now? Because mm -hmm. I cannot look away 
I cannot not look away. Um, as a black woman who lives in the South in Birmingham, Alabama, the center of all things civil rights, also <laughs> from um, areas uh, such as Selma, Alabama, where I grew up going across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and I grew up with the whole pedagogy around civil rights and civil right, rights leaders. And for, I remember the first time my mother took us to a uh, took my, took me and my brothers to a protest. There was um, and, and I know it sounds like a great uh, field trip, right? <laughs> We're going to a protest, <laughs> um, but um, you know, even as a little girl, maybe six or seven years old, at a protest, it did something to me. Then I wondered two things: why were the people protesting? And why were the people behind the doors who wouldn't let certain people inside of the doors locking people out? Mm. And it's so important for me now to say, how do we connect the people behind the doors and the people who are on the sidewalks? Mm. We both are wounded. We both need healing. I only believe for me the way that that healing will occur is if we are in relationship with one another. Absolutely. It's called remembering, right? So remembering is when we put our members back together, remembering the membering mm-hmm. part is where we put the members of society back together, the members of ourselves back together. Mm-hmm. So that's where, why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I cannot not see it but I cannot not feel it Sunday. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. feel it. I Mm -hmm. feel it in the friendships I have with people who look different than me. I feel it in the friendships with people who look like me. Exhaustion, trauma, pain on both ends. Mm -hmm. So yes. Yeah, it's it's time. Uh-huh. I know that you are what you call a literary healer, that you uh-huh. use writing to heal. How do you do that? And how is that connected to racial healing? Uh-huh. Yeah, so I started doing writing to heal uh, four or five years ago. I went through a really uh, devastating divorce and clinical depression. And I lost everything, my home, my family, all of it. Goodbye. Gone. Wiped away. <laughs> yes. And I found myself on this a lady's red couch. It was a writing class. And I began to write myself back together again. And I hadn't written. I was 33, 34. I hadn't written in my entire life. And my background in the first degree was in English. And I always wanted to be a writer. But as I was writing with other women... I began to find and reclaim my voice. I began to reclaim my voice in relation to the voices of others who were reclaiming their voices as well. There was no hierarchy. So the way that I have, I do it, it's through the model of the way that I've healed. As I come in, I give people writing prompts based on where they are in their lives. So if I'm in transition for work or if I'm in transition for relationship or I'm transition for racial healing or in transition for, you know, whatever, I give people simple writing prompts such, such as, okay, it's a new year. What do you want to keep from last year? 
I know everyone's saying, let go, let go, let go, let go. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that you're probably going to be letting go of something. (laughs) But what do you want to keep? And I ask you to write for seven minutes from your heart, not your head. Whatever comes up, allow it to come out. What do you want to keep? And then after that, I sit with you and I ask if you would like to share the things you want to keep and why those things are important to you. And also the feelings or the emotions that came up. So for me, my work is all about the expression of emotions and reclaiming that no matter where we are in the world and what we're doing, it is an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. For Mm -hmm. me, racial healing is an emotional experience. It is a globally emotional experience. People have been hurt. People are excited about reckoning. People are joyful about finding joy in those spaces. People are traumatized and there's a collective trauma which causes so much pain. So as we recognize and become emotionally aware, we can become race aware. We can Mm -hmm. become um, love aware (laughs) as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gosh, there's so many layers to that. One thing I'm hearing is... um, you're giving people space to have honest conversations with themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hearing you're also giving them a safe sort of cocoon (laughs) where they can (laughs) externalize it, share it. And I think it's always when you say it out loud, it, you embody it in a different way, right? When you share it in community with other people. Yes. And the other thing, that's one of the things I love about Brene Brown's work. She talks about the Atlas of the Heart and she, it's a literal encyclopedia of emotions. And she talks about what the function is for us. And I think it's in, at least in, you know, very Westernized, industrialized cultures, uh, the emotions are not given legitimacy Mm -hmm. like other very pragmatic things, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And you're centering the emotional experience here. Absolutely. It is centering your emotional experience that is important, that is valuable, but also in a community with others, they you are seeing what it's like to have others' emotional experiences centered as well. So we, it becomes less scary, becomes, you know, becomes more connected, and then you relate. It's like, oh, of course, you know, Sunday went through this something as well. And she feels pain too. You mean Sunday cries? Oh my goodness. I thought she was just all day long, you know, this power driven, high achieving woman who never cried, you know, or anything, that kind of thing. So it's sort of like when you see your teacher in the grocery store and you realize she's a human being too, who is buying <laughs> apples and meat for dinner, right? It's we are all human with all these same emotions. We're all in the grocery store after work, you know, in the grocery store, getting ready to 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 take care of ourselves and our families. Yes, Mm -hmm. totally. Our shared humanity, Mm -hmm. our shared humanity and really defining that word of what shared means, because we can look at words now. There's so many so much lingo and so much language. And so we get caught up in that language and it, but if we really realize that shared means like share, like I have something Mm -hmm. 
and I am going to give it to you and you will receive it. Sharing is the gifting and the receiving of something. It is the, there's a need, I feel the need and you receive it and you say, thank you. Not, oh, I don't really deserve this. Why'd you give this? How much, how much is it? You know, it's not enough. It's the receiving, it's the sharing. It's the pouring of the water in the cup and we're all drinking because we are thirsty. And then we are quenched together. It's the shared quenching that brings us, I think, into relationship. Absolutely. And that that speaks to so much about this isolation that everybody has been feeling, how that's more important than ever Mm -hmm. to have that. So how does that, what are you noticing in the racial healing circles that you've been leading? What do you notice is happening it's not easy Sunday. <laughs> it's a challenge. Really, it's been such a challenge as anyone could imagine. You know, you. But what I am noticing, what is happening, is I notice that people are really struggling or are challenged with centering other people's experiences other than their own. Mm. I am noticing that is a huge struggle. My experience as a black woman in the South is my experience. And as I share that experience, I hope that others are able to see that it's not the only experience, but it's the experience that shapes me, which is going to help shape the work that I do to support you in your healing. So when I look at the spaces of how do we not center anyone in these spaces or we center the black experience or we center the global experience. I am finding that there's challenges with that. (laughs) And I'm also finding that sometimes when there are challenges with that, people are like, well, let's not do it. No, 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 no. I'm uncomfortable. Trigger, 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 you know, trauma, trauma, trauma. You're causing me pain. Whereas for me, what I am seeing is a call for me to go deeper, to take a deeper dive into what that is. Mm-hmm. To look at it from a standpoint of, oh, I want to not shame or guilt anyone. Like we're no longer shaming or guilting anyone into having um, racial reckoning or having any kind of reckoning. What I would like to do and what I'm seeing is happening is by witnessing, witnessing what that power or loss of power actually feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it do in your body when you feel that? Like, what does it, I mean, we all have had that, you know, even not even on a racial standpoint. So taking a witness and really saying, yeah, let's deeply listen, but I really want to go to the space of witnessing now. And so for me, my work is now witnessing and what I'm seeing in spaces, the more that I witness, it strengthens. <laughs> Mm-hmm. people's resolve to look mm-hmm. a little deeper inside and say, oh, it's not the content you're sharing. It's mm-hmm. the experience I'm having with my loss of being centered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So my cognitive brain is going bananas over here. Um, because when I hear that, I'm thinking about all the dynamics around awakening around whiteness right 
how do you handle that in your groups? My groups are, are inclusive right now. I do have I do have separate groups where I do work with Black women, and I do work with um, you know internationally with global spaces. But right now, the heavy work that I'm doing is with all races, all genders, all nations. Mm-hmm. And when I see those challenges that come up, of course, we have like guiding principles and touchstones and all those wonderful things. <sighs> but truly how I handle that work is I ask people to be responsible for it for themselves. When you actually feel it coming up yourself, I ask you to call that out. Call yourself in to the circle yourself. So I ask you to lean into the community. What do you need from the community? Where were you triggered? Where were you bruised? Where was the hurt? Where was the confusion? And then I ask someone in the community, how can we support our sister? How can we support our brother? It's communal and community healing. Going back to what we have always been, going back to that attachment in early childhood, going back into into the spaces of ancient storytelling and ancient uh, healing practices. Like this is it, is what I truly believe. Yes. Well, yeah, that's um, that's huge work. That's definitely huge work. (laughs) So much respect for you to create that container and, and hold that space. That's massive. It's really massive. So tell me more about what is it about reclaiming your voice right now and healing? What is the connection? Cause I know that's so centered in your work. You talk about mm-hmm. using poetry, using writing. I have been honored to witness you use your voice in poetry and, <laughs> Thank you. and move people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what it is about that piece that connects using your voice and healing. Absolutely. I, I think the first time that I realized I was a poet, once again, goes back to the story of being on this lady's red couch after going through a, a traumatic time in my life. And I wrote something and then some other beautiful woman said, you are a poet. And I'm thinking, who wants to be a poet? What is that? You know, how how much fun? Yay. You know, let's all go be. And I never knew that. And so sitting there as someone is watching me with my words, and as I put those words together, in that moment, reclaiming the poet that lives inside of me, like the voice that I am giving out to the world is the voice of poetry that's what people are hearing and it's resonating with them. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, the work that I do and the whole idea of reclaiming your voice comes from the fact that of course, no one can help you find your voice because you didn't lose it. You have your voice. We all have our voices, but it's the fact of that throughout my life, I was never given the uh, opportunity or felt the permission Mm -hmm. to use that poet's voice. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was an inclusive voice that could possibly heal the world. One of the things I've learned is how when you have no words, when there's no way to take away the pain, you go to people go to prayer, they go to poetry, they go to art, right? Mm-hmm. Because nothing else can get close to what they're experiencing. Exactly. 
Mm, it is it is it is the space where we are connected the most art poetry our spiritual practices prayer there is no divide in those spaces it is bare it's where we break barriers and part of reclaiming my reclaiming a voice my voice was actually reclaiming my power and and having to become power aware that i am a powerful woman mm. and that I was like oh when I have been told that you know throughout my life that I wasn't when I've gone through trauma that can make you uh, sometimes feel weak when you know have been in situations where there has been this you know collective suffering I always want but there's also been collective joy and as I tap into the voice of all of those people and all of those places that I've been and gone through, that's reclaiming. Like, this is mine. No one else. No one else has this voice. No one else has this poetry. No one else has this narrative. No one else has the, the ability to support people through their voices and racial healing. That is it. This is who I am. And as I reclaim it, I'm able to now look in the eyes of others and say... Hmm. Come sit on this red couch. <laughs> mm -hmm. If there's some poetry inside of you, there is some coaching inside of you. There is some consulting and there is a voice inside of you that is your intuitive voice. So Salem, there's something I want to ask you. You help bring out people's voice, people's intuitive voice through writing, but not everybody is as talented of a poet as you are. Right. And you and I have talked um, outside of this context about how I feel poetry is so healing when when you're in crisis or you're going through hard times. So there's something that I've noticed that you're doing with other people, which is listening to their stories and then creating poetry for them. I yeah. am. I think that is such a gorgeous gift. And I would love to hear from you. How did you come to that idea? How did this all start? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I think the whole idea of listening beneath the stories of what people are saying is where I really started. I've, of course, been expressive writing and doing that for the longest. But during uh, the early part of the pandemic, I found this space called the Good Listening Project. And the Good Listening Project has a certified listener poet um, program. And so I jumped in not knowing at all really what it was, but I noticed that it really was what I had been doing for so long and other people have been doing through storytelling. And I really wanted to see a way to really bring it back into the spaces with people who um, I have an opportunity every day to listen to. And for me, it was just a natural fit. It's kind of like uh, the whole idea of uh, Sarah Bono, like going beneath the voices of what people are saying and really finding out what their initial needs are. And so um, as a result of going through this uh, program for six weeks, becoming a certified listening poet, I was able to bring it back into the hospital where I work as an artist in resident and where I was able to work now with probably over 50 doctors and uh, healthcare professionals, really looking at ways that we can uh, reduce burnout, um, advance resilience, and sit with one another and began to unearth those stories, not just post-pandemic or pre-pandemic, but just stories about, you know, where we are as people. Mm -hmm. So it's, it has been an 
enlightening, illuminating, sad, happy, joyous, mm. but more than anything, I don't think I would have been able to be this close to the heart of people if there wasn't the whole idea of using poetry as a tool to kind of get in there, to enhance people's like imagination, to really support them in saying your voice matters, but not only that, but your voice is healing. Like you can use your voice to heal your life. Tell your story. Here is a poem. It's your poem, not me. Mm -hmm. I heard this. This is you're really creating your poem when you're with me. I'm just putting it in a little form and giving it a little rhythm, giving it a little rhyme. But it's really you. It's who you are. So um, it has been, and it continues to be, a highlight of what I do every day. But also, it I think it's also very healing for people um, to get the to get a poem, but also to be listened to. I mean, I'm tearing up just listening to you about this. There's a lot of reasons why. I think the first one is, you know, I, I mentioned before, there's so much our work we do very differently, but I think there is a intention of transformation behind both of our work. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what might be similar. And as a coach, what I've witnessed in over a decade of doing this is how important it is to just have what I learned from my mentor, Dr. Martha Beck calls a compassionate witness mm-hmm. and just listening. And, and that's something that I also teach, you know, my coaches who don't have, let's say a coaching qualification, but are there more as a facilitator, like, Hey, just being present <laughs> as another human and saying, I hear you and I have no agenda. Like that is so powerful for people. Mm. So that I would just want to acknowledge how, how meaningful that must be for the people who are working in the medical field. Cause I do have clients that are doctors and I know they have zero time. They have zero time to process. Time. So you're such a gift for them. The other thing that's coming up for me is um, you like a conduit. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the poem passes through you to them. Yes. And I just feel like it's such a beautiful thing that you're doing because right now we're, we don't have more strategies. All of the old ones are used up and they're not working anymore. They're not. No, mm-hmm. right? they're not. Yeah. Thank you. And one of the, you know, chaplains that I work with, uh, He's been a chaplain, I don't know, 30 years, you know, before a chaplain, of course, you know, a minister. And I asked him, like, during the pandemic and and during the time where chaplains were not able to go into patients' rooms, he mentioned that they uh, did phone calls. He logged over. I think he said close to, you know, maybe close to uh, 18,000 phone calls his team did with people. But the whole idea of being head of chaplain as the as the head chaplain in the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, motivating a team, maneuvering an entire team and cross religion, cross spirituality, cross all those barriers, but not being able to go inside of the rooms of patients. So I asked him, what was that like? And I remember him telling me that he just one day put his hand on the window of a patient's room just put his hand on a window of a patient's room to just signify or signal, I am here. And as he did that, he began to see that there were nurses who began to do the same thing. 
There mm-hmm. were healthcare technicians that began to say to do the same thing. And it became almost if there were just a train of hands on windows at this particular unit. Mm-hmm. And the people who were behind those rooms were able when they weren't able to actually sit alongside someone, they were able to feel and see those hands of the people putting their love, their prayers, their spiritual resilience, all of those things to say, we are still here, Mm -hmm. but we also see you are still here. Yeah. Like there's so many different ways to listen. So I will ask all of us if we could just have anyone to lay hands on the window while we're behind whatever room that we are behind, whose hands would you want on your window? And whose window would you put your hands on? That's the poem. That's the poetry. That's the listening. That's where we are, I believe, right now, globally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's a kind of strategy, right? And I'm saying that with like air quotes, Yes. (laughs) you know, that we need, we need to do it differently. And it's so simple and so powerful, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's beyond, it's, it's beyond powerful because of course we know the strategies that you know, we know, and mm-hmm. we've, we, like you're saying, we, we have the theory, we have the, the, the dogma, we have the pragma, mm-hmm. we have pra- the practitioner, you know, thesis, we have all of, we have the pedagogy, we have all of those things. But what I think people are asking us to do now is hearts to break. And so that now hearts can now be reopened to something different and new to different and new people, to different and diverse ways of seeing one another. The diversity of listening Mm -hmm. and the diversity of how I need to be heard Mm -hmm. as well. That goes back to your healing circles too, right? How, you know, you shared with me how for some people it's really uncomfortable to have their voice not be centered, right? And for others, it's so unique to just be witnessed right? To, to be in community with people in very different, very vulnerable ways, mm-hmm. right? right? We're not going to get through this without some pain. <laughs> it's like <laughs> cracking your heart no. open, right? <laughs> like cracking your heart open mm-hmm. it isn't, isn't something, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it's something soft. I think it's something hot and painful, Mm-hmm. And it requires someone a witness, you know, um, the, the hot, painful way of opening ourselves that is going to take us into the softness. You know, as we go through that mm-hmm. tunnel, it, it, it is dark. So we we might need a witness. We we need mm-hmm. someone to travel alongside of, side of us where two or more gathered together. We have a, a witness. And as listeners, we can decide to witness. We can decide mm-hmm. to say we are gathered here together in witness of one another. As your heart breaks, your heart is not breaking alone. Mm-hmm. As joy begins to filter this room, it is not filtering in alone as we see someone who may have a hard time kind of cracking you know the door of that um you know resilience or cracking the door of you know different you are not Mm -hmm. doing it alone so for me the listening is more so the witnessing really witnessing someone else like i hear you but i hear and see you and i'm with you Mm -hmm. the witness 
that we have together in this space is really what gives me the opportunity to really bring the emotional barrier to to break the emotional barriers through poetry, yeah. to break the you know difference barriers through poetry, to break whatever barriers they may, there may be through a poem. You know, lines of words on a piece yeah. of paper yeah. uh, that are broken up literally that mm -hmm. set the barriers apart, that have margins on each side, that keep us in a boundary that allows me to be able to see you. So I think mm -hmm. that's what I hope I can mm -hmm. teach others to do. And uh, really the vision is absolutely, yeah. Well, you've transformed the way that I see poetry. And then as I've grown and been challenged, their words in their regular structure don't do it mm. and you seek something else and that is where I found poetry and I'm I'm so grateful for for poets because they do heal in ways that tangible doctors don't heal psychologists don't heal it's an it's a totally embodied different way of healing and I wish and this is just my side agenda I really wish that the arts were better funded because this is a new technology. It's a very old technology, right? Yes. But for new purposes that we need so urgently right now. So <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering if you have a poem that you know by heart that you love reciting or something you've written that you'd feel mm -hmm. comfortable with sharing. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that's coming to mind for you? You know, I think I do have one poem I've been like, during the entire pandemic, I have been focused on this whole idea in my healing. And I think this uh, was mentioned, the whole idea of the whole person, the whole idea of the whole person. Like, um, I went through a trauma as well during the pandemic where it was uh, kind of a trauma of, of almost losing my life and this kind of thing. And I realized I needed a community that saw the whole me, mm. not just, oh, she needs housing. Oh, she needs financing. Oh, she, no, it's counseling. It's housing. It's financing. It's, you know, food, it's clothes, it's a hug. You know, it's a bath grooming for my dog. The whole person, rest, sleep, you know, mm. <laughs> a part-time job, all those kinds of things. So I had this poem that came from me through those experiences. It's, I am tending the roots of my pain. I am uprooting the wounds of my shame. I am reclaiming the power of my name. I am set free from every one of my chains. I am reclaiming the power of my name. And in so many seasons of my life, I've had to reclaim and I've had to set free all of my chains. Wow. So thank you for listening. But that short little poem has been my solace for this time. Mm -hmm. Well, and you just sort of casually mentioned that you almost lost your life mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. if that's just a thing. Just no, it's not, it's not a thing. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, how do you how do you move forward from that right how do you mm -hmm. have that encounter 
and then find words for that. Only something like poetry can, can come close to finding something sacred enough to represent it. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, and, and it's not a casual thing, you know, to, to, like you were saying that I have, um, experienced, but poetry visits me in all of my trauma. And as it visits me, it reminds me that there's this continuous process of reclaiming my voice and reckoning with that pain and restoring that joy and being as honest and vulnerable so that others too can. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that this global world changing thing that we all hope to do in life comes Mm -hmm. from the stories of how we have reclaimed ourselves in the most painful things that we've gone through. That's beautiful. That's like such a guide, I think, for this year is how can we reclaim ourselves, our voices, and sort of like an alchemist, transform the pain that we've experienced um, into something that would be wisdom at best yes. and, and you know, or at minimum <laughs> and strength at best, right? Like, I don't know the quote, but that that idea is coming up to me about the that wisdom is just the result of pain healed. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. tell us a little bit about um, your own, where you are. You're in service of other people right now, mm-hmm. and you're doing this work um, in community with others for for racial healing. But what about you? What mm-hmm. transitions are you feeling right now? Whew. The biggest transition I am feeling right now is ease and rest. Mm. Ease. E-A-S-E. I want everything to be ease, ease, ease in my life. Not, mm. and even the fact that people may judge me because I say I want things to be ease, that's ease. It's like, so what? Mm. So for, for me, I'm in the transition of... <laughs> of, you know, sleeping in late on the weekends and, you know, um, eating as healthy, healthfully as I can, but at the same time, just easily enjoying what that means. Walking every single day with ease, not for some, uh, not for rigorous exercise, but because it's Mm. ease. Mm. Um, Even in the work that I'm doing that can seem as as such a challenge, I take the Mm. process as ease it's like, mm-mm, y'all not going to do that to me. It's this community. I'm not responsible for making everyone happy and healed. I'm responsible for just holding space for the community and giving some tenets on how that works, ease. Mm-hmm. And so That's encouraging beautiful. people to see that in the wholeness of, of your life, there, there is some ease. There is some rest. Not just rest, but there is some real rest, like the soul no recovery. rest. recovery. Yes. Not recovery. That's the word. Yes. Not recovery. It's soul rest. Put your soul. Yeah. You don't have anything to recover from. It's not the recovery rest. You don't rest so you can get back up and work again. It's resting right. so that your soul can, can uh, continue to just live inside of your body. So your spirit just continues to thrive with you. It's because you are rest. Yeah. 
there are about 99.9% people listening right now who don't even know what that would look like to rest. That isn't just the form of recovery. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yes. Right, you know what I mean? Like it's such a mind boggling concept. So what about you? Like we, you know, in my recent work, I've been really explicit about transformation and how there's three kinds. One is an internal transformation. It's coming from the inside out. Something just no longer suits you and you feel it inside. Otherwise, it might be external where something from the outside is impacting you. Or it's simply like performance led. You have a goal that you want to achieve. What sort of transformations are you working through right now? Wow. Transformations that I'm working through right now. Um, I think internally, the biggest transformation that I'm working through right now is sitting still. Mm. And for me, what that's like is I'm a <laughs> recovering perfectionist, <laughs> high achiever, all of those beautiful things. Yes, we have that in common. <laughs> I'm blushing right now. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever could you mean? So I am, I am sitting sitting with the idea of internally, how do I not just sit my body still, but just sit mm. still. Like I don't, I'm not coming up with something to do next in my life. Like I'm one of those idea persons who love projects and ideas and all these next things. And it's like, I'm allowing it to come to me because I am worthy. I have reclaimed my voice. I am valuable. Why wouldn't it just come to me because I've worked for it enough. God knows that. And so in turn, that's my transformation, like a year of sitting still, a year of just sitting still. I really want to work on some external things. If I want to do some monologues with women who are talking about what it's like to heal, what it's like to be a part of their culture, what it's like to write, just yeah, I want to do some. Uh, I want to do some things on stage uh, and all those kinds of things, and dream about what it would be like to do those things on TV and all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's fun. I hear the ease. Like, there's something playful and fun about that that's coming up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm also hearing that for me, when I hear that, you know, as a recovering perfectionist, that just allowing ease and stillness is an ambitious transformation because that's like the opposite of the conditioning that mm. you've been raised with. Absolutely. I mean, I was raised with a single mother who was strong and worked as a teacher and taught us to do the same, taught me and my brothers to do the same thing. And then being part of, you know, Western society where it's go, 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 never stop, stop, stop. And now coming off of this pandemic. I cannot go back to the way, I, way it was before. What is wrong? Stop people. Stop. You know, you cannot make me do that anymore, or it doesn't work any, for me anymore. Like when I say mm -hmm. it doesn't work for me, literally, mm -hmm. physically, my energy and my body doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. Doesn't do the work performance. Doesn't go there. Cannot. I can't even walk as fast as I used to walk. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. Even going into the grocery store, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm gonna take it a little easy here. So for me, it looks that way. It looks like the way of totally unconditioning myself from something that wasn't working for me well right. at the time. 
before I know my mother is what she had to do, right? She had to do that. And it was her love language. It was what she needed to do for us. But today I don't need to do that for myself. Yeah. It's good. It's like you will no longer let your body betray itself anymore. I will witness my body. Mm. Talk about listening, but witnessing is when I uh, hear my body and my body hears me. Mm. Now we're in relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. And now my body's saying, you heard me because I heard you. <laughs> so go over there and <laughs> go take your dog for a walk and rest. Yeah. Right. That's the thing I tell my clients too. I'm like, I have to be honest with you. Once you start learning that language of your body, it's, you can't ignore it anymore. It won't let you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to like, you know, sync up with what your body wants. I know that Absolutely. our time has been racing, but before we go, I want to hear more about what you're working on right now that you'd like others to know about. Yeah, so I think two things is I, I'm really working on the, as a listener poet, looking at innovative ways to bring um, listener poetry and creative ways into wellness and health spaces. I am really working on ways to use this as an equitable strategy for diversity and inclusion and equity, but more than that, for justice. I think it gives us justice when we are heard. It gives us justice when we are listened to. It's justice when we walk away with a poem that is for us, to us, by us, you know, about us or what have you. So I'm working on listening poetry, uh, working on looking at ways to support um, not just healthcare professional professionals, but the world mm-hmm. <laughs> and fostering uh, their voices. It's like, okay, you know, how can I help right now people give birth to the voice of who and where they are today mm-hmm. um, based on whatever has been happening in their personal lives. So I'm doing a whole lot of listener poetry and you can find out more information about that. I'm working with individuals, I'm working with groups, and I'm also working with organizations on ways in which we could use listening, listening poetry as a story cultural tool for your organization or your business and for those persons that uh, your staff and your employees. Wow. Really transition and transform, not just your communication in the spaces you are, but if you have uh, better stories, uh, allow us to become better, become better storytellers, but we are well as a result of having mm-hmm. better stories. The better stories you tell in your organization, the more well your organization is. And I believe this is one way that I can offer that to folks through listening wow. poetry. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I don't know anybody else is doing it like you and you just everything you share is like poetry. (laughs) You are truly, truly um, so talented. So thank you for sharing your talents with us today. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me Sunday. So there you have it. This topic is unfortunately timeless. As we've seen on the news that the need for racial healing has been present for centuries and continues to pervade today. I'm grateful for the work Salem is doing to support that healing process. You've been listening to In Transit with Sunday Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with the thoughts of Yoko Ono. Healing yourself is connected with healing others. Ha <laughs> ha!